Just a reminder, everyone, we have the absolute extravaganza Bonza Prize coming up. I don't know how many books it is, but it's 48, 50 books, something like that, and you can win them all. Every single book that we've done from season two, so from yep. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People all the way through to the end, you can win every single book. Mate, it's absolute Bonza Prize, and there's three ways you can you can jump in and, and put yourself in there in the, in the running to win it. So the first way is to leave us a review, whether that's on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you're listening, just leave us a review on there. Yep, the second way is to fill out the, the survey we have and you can go to whatyouwillearn.com slash survey. It's about three minutes, three or four minutes of your time. Quite easy. Yeah. Easy questions. We just want to find out more about it. And then the third way is to buy a book. So grab a book, send us a pic, you and the book or tag us on social media somewhere. And yeah. Yep, so yeah, get on the extravaganza Bonza Bonanza. Win 50 books. Change your life. Everything gets better. Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. My name is Adam Jones. Today we are doing a pretty good book by Annie Duke, Thinking in Bets, Making Smart Decisions When You Don't Have All of the Facts. And so it's all about, as you say, making better decisions. Everyone's got to make decisions every single day. Mm. And this is why sometimes we don't make the best decisions and how we can make better decisions. Yep. So poker is a great game to use as an uh, analogy for different areas of life. This is all about using it for the context of decision making. Yeah. And Annie Duke's a bit of a heavyweight in poker. She won about four mil. I think she I think someone told me she was the second highest winning female poker player. Oh really? Think, yeah. Yeah. I might have made that up, but I think that's We'll good. go with it. Yeah. Makes the uh, book sound better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, she's a juggernaut. Yeah. So yeah, thinking in bets is all about moving towards objectivity. That's a big part of it. And there are two things that determine how our la- our lives turn out, and that is the quality of our decisions and luck. That's it. And it's uh, a big thing that we fall into the trap of attributing luck as the quality of decisions or vice versa. Mm. Um, and so that's one of the big things we've got to be careful. Mate, you're writing of. a text message. No, sorry, mate. Just putting on do not disturb. So oh, good work. Yeah. yeah. So then you don't get yeah. disturbed. <laughs> exactly, mate. <laughs> so but, chapter one of the book, man, it's uh, life is poker and not chess. Yeah, and so obviously uh, chess as a game, we'll get into a bit more, but chess is uh, mainly computational poker. There's a lot more in it, and life is much more like poker. Yeah. So she tells a story of Super Bowl 49. Uh, I think it was the Patriots versus uh, the... Fuck. We'll go with the Dolphins. The two teams. One team was <laughs> one team was down by a little bit, and they had the ball on the one yard line. And so neither of us are um, big gridiron watchers, but I'll probably watch half an hour each year of the Super Bowl. But anyway, so they were one yard out. They were literally right next to the touchdown zone. They need if they score, they win. There was thirty seconds left, and there was the coach decided to pass instead of run. So I think it's one yard that they need to run it. They decided to pass. Uh, ended up getting intercepted. The game is over. Mm. And so most people thought that was an absolutely stupid decision. Why would you pass it? You're one yard out. Worst decision of all time. But what we're falling into there is a thing called resulting, where we're basing the we're we're weighing up the uh, decision based on the result. So if you had to take it, yeah, if you rather than looking at the decision in isolation. So if you had taken that grab 
scores a touchdown, wins a game, they would have said that's the best decision you've ever made. Mm. But because it got intercepted and they lost the game, they said that's the worst decision. But even though it's yep. the exact same decision. My brain just had a flashback and we'll, there's an Australian example that just popped into my head, which is the other way, which is turned out to be a good decision. I remember about 15 years ago, Steve Waugh, who's the captain of Australia, yeah. I think we, were, we had three wickets to go. It was really close to the very end of the game. And Steve Waugh put in Michael Clark to bowl. And he's like, not a very good bowler, not yeah. known at all. Yeah. And everyone's like, what an idiot beforehand. Yeah. Michael Clark got like three wickets yeah. and a hat trick. And then Steve Waugh was the absolute king and the best captain of all time. Yeah, so exactly. goes both ways. <laughs> it goes both ways in that the decision itself is the same regardless of the outcome. But we always look at the outcome to decide how good the decision was. Yep. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's resulting. And it feels better for us to, to think that the world is orderly. But there yeah. was a lot of randomness and uncertainty at the time of the decision. But looking back, and this is moving on to this thing called hindsight bias, which we'll yeah. get into also. Yeah, and hindsight bias is just saying that when we look back, it seems like the only possible outcome. Even though when we're in the moment and we've got 10 different options and all 10 are equally likely, but then when we get to, we take one decision, we look to the other end and we look back, it seems like, oh, that was the only decision possible. We forget about the other nine. Yeah, yeah, it's bang on. So yeah, poker, it's a lot more, sorry, Life is a lot more like poker and not chess. So chess, on the other hand, it's not really a game by the theory of the game theory kind of standards. Chess is a well-defined form of computation, and you may not be able to work out all the answers, but in theory, there must always be a right procedure in any position when it comes to chess. But in poker, there's a lot of uncertainty, and, and you know Joe Blow can beat fucking the top top dog. And that's the thing because there is luck um, in poker. There's no luck in chess, essentially, in that there's. The, there's only the set amount of moves in poker. There's things that you, there's like stuff that you don't know about. You don't know what cards the other person has. You don't know what cards are going to come out next. Yeah. Um, there's also you know people are bluffing, um, or they're trying to double bluff you. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff about it's a shit. A whole bunch more going on. Yep. So, yeah, it's poker's a game of incomplete information. So we don't, really don't know what's going to happen in our future. So we got to kind of optimize our decisions to try and get the best outcomes, but. You know, you can make a great decision, but then you... <laughs> I was going to say something negative. But <laughs> something bad, but we won't go there. <laughs> Mate, there's a whole lot of other things that tie into why we make poor decisions. And she ties into a lot of things that we've covered in other books, like thinking fast and slow, predictably irrational, influence, win bigly. I strongly recommend going back to have a listen to those. You know, things like... Mis, um, confusing correlation with causation, things like confirmation bias, things like taking cognitive shortcuts, a whole bunch of these things. Like one one good example is you know the the two parallel lines and one's got the arrows pointing in and one's mm. got the arrows pointing out. And you look at it and you think the one with the arrows flayed out, the line looks longer. And even when you know and you measure them and they're exactly the same size, you still can't unsee that illusion. And mm. so that's some of the, the things where our, our brain's playing tricks and makes us make incorrect decisions. Yeah, our brain, our brain yeah, is, is weird like that. Yeah, so the yeah. next part of the book is uh, Want to Bet, it's chapter two, and, and she's saying how everything is a bet. So, you, you know, you go for a new job or relocation, new area, that's a big bet. Sales negotiations, buying a house is a bet. You might be at a pub and ordering a Parma or a, because I did this last week, it was yeah. like, you know, at a fancy restaurant, you take a bet and do something more fancy on the menu and when it comes out it could be really really good yeah or but there's also that chance that it's it's not good so you just go for the safe option and that's That's even a bet bet. yeah exactly and so that's what you're saying is everything is bets but we very rarely look at it as though it were a bet and the the benefit of viewing it as a bet is we take it a lot more seriously like if 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 i say oh mate definitely get the palmer it's going to be way better than the steak Mm. and then if you say do you want to bet then i'm going to 
think, hang on, I'm not 100% sure now and I'm going to go back and reassess my thing that I was previously 100% certain on because having to bet, having to put money on the line um, completely changes the, the way we make decisions. Yep. Mate, we, we, <laughs> we took that analogy into some, some different waters there, but that's <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure how <laughs> the context is, is spot Mate, so on what, So what she says, um, she says our bets are only as good as our beliefs. And one issue, you know, she says that hearing is believing. And one way we, what we think we form beliefs, you know, we think that we hear something is the first step. And then we, second step is to weigh it up, take in all the possibilities and decide on what is true and what is false. And then the third step is to form our beliefs. That's what we think we do. But in actual fact, we actually hear it and then we believe it to be true. Mm. That's pretty much. And then only sometimes when we're like prompted or forced to do it, then do we go back and assess if it's true or not. Yep. So generally we hear or read or listen or see something and believe it to be true. And only sometimes when we're prompted, do we go back and assess is that true or not. And what she says is that the circuit breaker is like saying, do you want to bet? Mm. And when you say, do you want to bet? Then you, th- then you go and reassess your beliefs and think, hang on, is this true or is this false? Yeah, that's it. And once the belief is in there and it's, it's lodged and you've, you've developed it, it's really hard to dislodge once it's in there. Yeah. You know, it takes it a life of it, its own. And then this is where we have this thing called mo- motivated reasoning mm. where we look for all kinds of reasons to, to agree with this certain belief, which might have been just based on a crock of shit from the very beginning. And, you know, it's like a circular informational processing thing. And the thing is, if you're smarter, mm. it's not like it's easy to dislodge the, the belief because you can come up with better uh, rational ideas. You actually can find more reasons to to uh, back up this crock of shit that you've ended up yeah. believing. So, with motivated reasoning, intelligence is not a good thing. Exactly, man. And it, it actually came up in the other book, Skeptic, as well. And that if you're smart, then you can form a strong argument and you're probably better at arguing, better at coming up with reasons mm. and it sticks in there. The other thing she says that smart is worse is like, if you... If you're really good with numbers, if you look at a, a whole bunch of data, then if you're smart, your brain twists the data to make arguments one way or the other. Whereas if you're not as good with numbers, then you're probably looking at it more objectively without trying to force these um, trends and stuff onto it by mm. being smart. Back to the poker analogy, there's one thing out there. This was my favorite hand, man. And it turns out <laughs> it's shit. But like six or sevens of diamonds is a lot. There's widely regarded as a, yep. as a great hand. Suited connectors. Because you can stealthily get to the end and you can win a big pot. Because you know you might smash a flush or a Mate, straight. straight flushes don't come up that often, man. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't come up that often. But this is a belief that goes around, and I, yeah. you know, I haven't yet dislodged this belief at all. But anyway, there was someone who went up to Annie and, and was saying, "I was so unlucky, I didn't get the flush on the at the end or whatever." And Annie said, "Why were you playing six or seven of diamonds in the first place?" And he goes, "No, nah, it's not the point. The point is, you know, I'm unlucky. That's what he was saying." Yeah. So, yeah, that's and that's it, man. Motivated just, reasoning. Just play pocket aces instead, mate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you taught us. Mate, what she says um, is, uh, you know, one thing that we do as well is we either view it something as one hundred percent right or one hundred percent wrong. And so she says that we need to redefine wrong in thinking that nothing's either one hundred percent right or one hundred percent wrong. There's always going to be somewhere in between. So if you can think. Either rather than being 100% sure and then if you change your belief, you have to then be 100% wrong. Hmm. She says, if you can say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm 60% sure of this and then you hear some new information, reassess and you might say, oh, now I'm 45% sure on this. Yep. So, you haven't dropped from completely right to completely wrong. You haven't completely destroyed your own, you know, your story that you tell yourself that you're a genius. Hmm. Uh, you're just saying that actually, I've taken on more information, I'm reassessing, I'm shifting it down 15%, not 100%. Yep. Yeah, declaring uncertainty makes us more credible hmm communicators in my opinion I don't think this <laughs> there's a lot of industries if you said 
I'm not sure. Like if you're an yep. engineer, a structural engineer, and you're and you're saying, you know, I'm 70% certain your building's going to stand. <laughs> well, you're better off just saying, yeah, you're sweet. It's not going down. Don't worry. But that's um, you know, that's a bit of an outlier, yeah. maybe. <laughs> that's what she says. She says it's saying I'm not sure. Uh, it allows that uncertainty. Firstly, it's like a more accurate re- representation because you're probably not 100% sure. Uh, it also allows you to step back and reassess. And it also lets other people add in their input. If you say, no, I'm 100% sure I'm not changing my belief, if I've got more information, I'm not going to say anything to you because I think that's it's useless. He's, he's stuck. He's stubborn. He's not going to change his mind. But if you say I'm not 100% sure, then I can give you my perspective. And then by you taking on an extra perspective, it might make your assessments better and more accurate. Yep. So the next part of the book, it goes into a lot about um, about the next chapter is fielding uncertainty mm-hmm. and fielding... Sorry, better learn, fielding the unfolding future. That's what the chapter's called. Yeah, nice. And she starts off with a quote by Aldous Huxley who recognized experience is not what happens to a man. It's what a man does with that is what happens. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) Have another crack, mate. Experience is not what happens to a man. It's what a man does with what happens to him. Oh, nice. Mate, the first time you said that, I was, way, I was completely lost, but that sounds, that sounds all right. It sounds yeah. good. Um, <laughs> mate, how it ties in, I'm not sure, but it's a sick quote. <laughs> it's a sick quote. But yeah, there's, a difference, there's a big difference between experience and becoming an expert, and the, the difference uh, relies on the ability to identify when the outcomes of our decisions have something to teach us and then what the lesson might be. Nice, nice. So she's got a, a, what she calls the learning loop, and the first learning loop is you have your belief and you make a bet based on that belief. So again, you know, a bet could be anything, as you said, changing jobs, buying a house, you know, selling a stock that you own, uh, buying a palm up, <laughs> whatever it is, mate, any bet. So you've got a belief, you make the bet, and then you see the outcome. And then it loops back around and that outcome affects your belief. So you shift your belief slightly. So the next time you bet, you will have learnt from the previous outcome and, and shift slightly. So that's that's the first learning loop. The second learning loop is where it brings in luck versus skill. So as you said, there's with our decisions, there's skill, but there's also luck. So essentially, the learning loop here is like, so you got your belief, you place your bet, then you get your outcome. And if you see it as luck, there's no learning. So it essentially just shoots off to the side. But if you say that this was down to your skill, that's where it loops around and you learn again. Yep. So essentially is that if you you know, if something bad happens and you say, Oh, that was just bad luck, you don't learn anything. But if you something bad happens and you say, Oh, that was due to my skill that I didn't make the best decision possible, then you can learn from it and then next time you bet, it'll be yep. it'll be better, more accurate. Yeah. And you can also learn a lot by others. So Yogi Berra said you can observe a lot by watching which is a lot of wisdom in that quote, but, but, <laughs> but we blame our own bad outcomes on bad luck. Yes. But when it comes to our peers, uh, the bad luck is, or the, the bad outcomes are clearly their fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. If we, see, if we do something wrong, we say, oh, that was bad oh, luck. Bad. If we unlucky. see someone else do something wrong, we say, that was poor skill. We yeah. would have done better. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, and that's the, the thing she says, these fielding these, these outcomes. You have to decide how much of the outcome was based on luck and how much of the outcome was based on skill. And as we were saying, if you attribute every good outcome to you being a genius, that's bad. And if you attribute every bad outcome to luck, that's also mm. bad. So you need to work out the percentage split between luck and skill in every outcome. Definitely. One of the strong things she says you can do is adopt like a buddy system. And it sounds a lot like the old mastermind group from Napoleon Hill's thing. But a group no, can this function- sounds like chapter four. It is chapter buddy four. System. It yep. is. A group can function better than the sum of its parts, yep. but it doesn't automatically turn out that way. 
Yeah. So being in a group can improve your decision quality by exploring the alternatives and recognizing where our thinking might be biased. But she says, not all groups are created equal. So to have a good group, you have to be focused on accuracy, which is rewarding truth-seeking. So, you know, being objective, being open-minded within the group, always looking for the truth, not just to confirm each other's own beliefs. Yeah, that's it. And number two is accountability. So everyone needs to be accountable to whatever their ideas are. And that's it. And then just making it, saying something ridiculous, saying, yeah, this is exactly right. You have to be accountable for that. You can't just say shit. Mm. You have to be able to back it up. That's it. And three is a bit of a papa. It's openness to diversity of ideas. That's it, man. And that's all about, you know, you don't want an echo chamber of everyone just, just, just saying the same shit in your group. You want some difference of opinion. Yes. And one of the actionable things you can do on Twitter, because it's likely that everyone you follow on Twitter is ideologically aligned with you. Yep. So, start following some people from the other side. Exactly, man. She talks about the matrix, the red pill or the blue pill, and that, you know, you can't just shove this down someone's throat to become truth-seeking, to realize that there's luck and skill, to realize that we don't know everything. Uh, so, you know, you can take, they can take the blue pill, the story ends, just wake up, believe whatever you want to believe. Or if someone's willing to take the red pill, you know, to realize that there's a bit more to this, that's yeah. the type of person you want to be hanging out with, I reckon. I think if you if you listen this far into the podcast, then you're a red pill kind of person. You want yeah. to see the truth, not just you yeah. know believe the fit. You're fantasy. pretty much fifty percent woke. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, mate. <laughs> Listening to this shit, <laughs> exactly. You're, you're there. So there's uh so yeah we are all inherently biased, right? And there's yeah. in 1950 there was a movie called Rashomon, and she was saying in the scene, and there's a lot of people had different opinion, but. But there was a scene where a lot of people thought it was this horrible rape scene. Yeah. There was this other group who thought it was this beautiful seduction. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, uh, like the Fifty Shades of Grey type. <laughs> yeah. By, so the rape was by a bandit. And then in the bandit's duel, um, half think that the bandit killed the, the, the husband, but half thought it was suicide. So, you know, we've all, we're wow. all seeing two different sides of the same story. Yeah. Right? Two movies, one screen. Kind of goes to that. Scott Adams would say. Yeah, yeah. we've got the different perceptive filters that yeah. it filters all the, the reality through some yeah, different kind of routes. Exactly, man. Mate, Chapter 5, Descent to Win. Uh, she He talks about the, this dude called Robert K. Merton, one of the most influential sociologists of the 20th century. And he had a thing called the kudos system. So C was communism, saying data belongs to the group. So if... You want to make a group better, everyone needs to share the same data. You can't just hoard data and say, yeah. I know this, no one else is allowed to know it because I want to be the only one with this info. If you want the better decisions, you need to share the data. The U is for universalism. So you've got to apply the standard um, evidence you know, across all truth claims. You can't just you know, treat yours better than someone else's. Mm. The D is disinterestedness. So that's becoming removing conflicts of interest. So conflicts of interest could be financial. So obviously you want, if you place a bet and you want one outcome over the other, there's a conflict of interest there. But there's also conflicts of interest when it comes to like admitting your ignorance because you don't want to see yourself as wrong, the desire to take credit, all these sort of things. All these sorts of things are conflicts of interest. And the OS is organized skepticism. So Always be willing to question beliefs. So that's what he yes. says is four super important things. You know, when you're looking at any claims, to be have this this kudos system. Yeah, it's all about this this truth seeking of the group, going for the truth, and uh, understanding where your limits with all your biases are. And um, so there are several ways to communicate and maximize your ability to engage in this like truth seeking to find what's objectively true rather than all this subjective stuff. 
And the first is to just express uncertainty. So don't be sure and understand you're not sure about shit. Really. That's it. If you're talking to someone else, you have to express uncertainty because as we said, if, if you're 100% certain, you're not going to get their side of the story. You need to express uncertainty and be open to getting someone else's ideas. Yep. Another good one is and to find the truth and it's it's to do improv. And this comes up in pretty much every book because yeah. <laughs> improv is fantastic. Man, that's confirmation bias because you've done improv. <laughs> <laughs> I love improv, man. But it's all about saying yes and rather than the but. The but kind of stops the, the truth seeking in the story as you're, like, you're kind of yeah. going together to find something. It's that's yes it. and. Yeah, that's it, man. She calls it leading with a sense. So whenever, if someone else has got a different opinion to you, always look for something that you agree with first. And that's where you say the and because you want to get this person on side with you first by saying things that you agree with. Yeah. And then the third step is to, you know, ask for this agreement to engage in truth seeking. So, you know, is this person just wanting to vent to you or are they genuinely looking for advice? Are they, have they taken the red pill and they're actually looking for, for an outcome here? And then the fourth thing is focus on the future. Yep. So after you've you know you've expressed uncertainty, you've led with assent, you've asked for engagement to you know discuss this properly with them. Then you're focusing on the future. You don't want to say you did this wrong because and all these past decisions you made were stupid. You want to be looking to the future. You know what can you do better next time? What was what can be um, improved in your decision yep. making? Yeah, and that openness to yeah to new ideas is is absolutely huge because yeah you otherwise you're just going to be stuck in your own little world and and not breaking out of the matrix and definitely like mate. Neo. mate chapter six adventures in mental time travel so this is the, the final chapter where she talks about a whole bunch of different ideas that we can use now to improve our decision making yep so the best poker players in the world develop practical ways to incorporate their long term strategic goals into their moment by moment decisions. Mm. So, you know, on the other hand, what most people have the, the um, what they do instead is this idea of temporal discounting where we mm. favor our present self at the expense of our future self. Yeah, and that's definitely. kind of the natural thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And that she, she even said here that there was a, a story where the military had the option to take their pension later or they could take it now. And they said they took up to a 40% discount to get all the money now rather than wait <laughs> to get it. Like, that's a big discount. Yeah. Um, other things is like lottery winners. If you win the lottery, you know, you win a 50 million jackpot. You don't win 50 million straight up. You get it as an annuity of, hmm. you know, 5 million a year over 10 years. Or you can take 30 million right now. And most yep. people take the discount. Or hmm. as um, Dan Ariely talks about, if someone says to you, you can get one chocolate bar right now or two next week. Mm. Obviously, logically, we should take two because it's double, and we're only waiting a week. But yeah. we don't because temporal discounting. And explains the uh, the credit card debt that a lot of people yeah. find themselves <laughs> Mate, 100%, in. hundred <laughs> percent, Mate, one thing she says we can do. So there's a, a bunch of things we can do. One thing she says is moving regret in front of our decisions because normally we make a decision, and after the decision has gone bad, we regret it. Yeah, she's saying we need to regret it. At the start, you know, so she says the 10, 10, 10 strategy. She says, what are the consequences of this decision in 10 minutes, in 10 months and in 10 years? So you need to be mm. almost having that regret first, seeing if this, if the worst case scenario happens, what's, what happens in the next 10 minutes, 10 months, 10 years? Yeah, regret is definitely one of the, the strongest emotions. Mm. That's why you think well, well, Buddhism is so strong about this idea of in, we're all impermanent because once you realize that you're impermanent, you know, you kind of do look at your life from the end in mind and, mm. and, and you and through the filter of what you might regret. And there's actually companies right now, and I think we might have touched on this in other podcasts, is virtual reality where you, you it 
puts up an image of yourself in 20 years' time mm. and, and you're more likely to make better long-term decisions if you see yourself from, from that kind of context. Yeah, if you see an aged, you know, an 80-year-old picture of yourself, you're more likely to save more for retirement and other things like that, yeah. Yeah, another one is, is uh, avoiding tilt. Mm. So in tilt, it's the idea when you lose a poker hand, you get all emotional and then you start doing stupid stuff directly yeah. after. Go all in on a six, seven diamonds, mate. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, it's blowing out of a proportion of a moment, momentary event because of the in-the-moment emotional reaction. Mm. So, you want to get rid of that. Yeah, get rid of tilt. You got to. It's almost like independent um, scenarios. Yeah, you can't be basing your next decision on your previous decision just because of emotional tilt. Yep. Another one is, I'm going to butch this word, Ulysses. <laughs> Ulysses. Ulysses contract. Yeah, you this word, man. Mate, so it was a story of uh, Ulysses is... I think he was trying to. He was getting home on his ship, and there was a story of he was going past the sirens, and the siren song would was so beautiful. These, I, I assume he wanted to go route these mermaids or something, but yeah. the the siren song would attract the boat and steer you off course, and then you crash into the rocks. So what he did was he tied himself to the mast and he put wax in all of the crew members' ears, so they couldn't hear the um, they couldn't hear the song. And then he said, you know, whatever I do. Just stay on course. Don't. I, I'm going to want to go and listen to these beautiful people, but it's going to kill us. So, so uh, yeah, keep going. So the, that's what he's saying is that Ulysses contracts. He's tied himself to the mast, so he can't do anything. Mm. So a, a real life example might be if you're going to the bar drinking, don't drive. Take an Uber because when you're drunk, you might you'll have to make the decision: Do I drive home? Am I close enough to the limit? Or should I get an Uber home? But if you take the Uber there in the first place, you've eliminated that decision. So these Ulysses contracts, they're making the decision before you have to make the decision essentially. Yeah. And it can either raise barriers or it can reduce barriers. So I'll give one last example is if your goal is to eat healthier, adding a barrier would be throwing out all the junk food in your cupboard. Mm. So that's adding a barrier. Yes, you can still go to the shop and buy it, but there's that barrier there. Or removing a barrier would be always carrying around fruit and nuts with you as healthy snacks because that's yep. a remove the barrier and you can straight away eat the healthy yeah, stuff. Yeah, love it. And probably continuing on for that, if, you, if you're doing that, you could buy probably gym clothes and yeah. put it at the end of your bed and all that kind of stuff. It's exactly. making a contract for the future that you've got to get kind of pull yeah. through. Another no. one, just, do you like Decision Swear Jar? Yeah, it was solid. Yeah. What was it? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the... the <laughs> Right, so I guess the concept of a swear jar when when you were kids and your parents didn't want you to swear, every any time you said a swear word, you had to put ten cents in the swear jar, or whatever, or not pretty, or whenever dad did it, then you had to throw a buck in there or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but so this um, decision swear jar can either be self-imposed or from a group. But it's saying anytime you say things that are bad for decision making, you have to throw it in your mental decision swear jar. So hmm. anytime you say I'm certain this is definitely going to happen, this always happens, this never happens, anything of um, illusions of certainty, any irrational outcome fielding like, oh, that was just bad luck, anything you're saying, I'm completely right or I'm completely wrong, any moaning or complaining about results, mm. that's when you throw into your decision swear jar. Sick. Another one was dendrology and hindsight bias. So there are many futures and many branches of the tree, but there's only one trunk. So she's mm. talking as if like the futures, the, the branches going out, but the past is the trunk. So and as the ever-advancing present goes up, it acts like a chainsaw and starts cutting off all the different branches and so you've only just got one pass. But when we look back into the past, analogy, yeah. yeah, when we look back into the past, we only see the one thing that happened yeah. and it seemed inevitable. 
That's it, man. So at the start, you know, we've got the big trunk and we've got a whole bunch of twigs, yep. branches going off it. But as we move up the trunk, the chainsaw chops away. And as you say, when we look back, it seems like oh, yeah. it was just it was so always some things that might be, you know, in the present, it might be a two percent chance of happening. But once yep. that two percent chance happens, in the you look back and you go, of course, it cuts away everything else. And that's yeah. like probably like you know why Brexit happened and Trump. Looking back, it's like you know a lot of people would 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 feel like of course Trump won and finding all these reasons. Yeah. But in the present, it was just the just a small chance of happening. Yeah. And because it happened, our hindsight bias thinks it was inevitable. Exactly, man. I thought that was phenomenal. Yeah. That was a cool analogy. The tree. The tree. Well. Yeah. That's pretty much all from me, man. Thinking in bets. Yeah. So I liked. It. I, I don't know, man. I went through a weird cycle with this book. At the very start, I loved it. Through the middle, as I read more and I listened to a lot of podcasts with Annie Duke. I thought it was really basic shit, but then the more I read and the more I listened to it, I came back up and thought this is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. So, yeah, went through a weird cycle with that one, but yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was an okay book. Yeah. Before, beginning, middle. <laughs> <laughs> the whole, there's, no, there's no loop around or it. It was just an okay book the whole time for me. But. Man, I, think, I reckon this stuff, uh, obviously it takes, there's a lot of other books that have tied into this. We talked about, you know, Skeptic, Thinking Fast and Slow, Pretty yep. Rational Influence. There's a lot of other, other stuff that she brought in, which I think is, is good and if you've never read that stuff before I reckon that this would be a, a really really top phenomenal book I reckon yeah especially if you're a poker player yeah 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 for sure man so we're going to speak to the Duke Master yep um, and ask a few more things about thinking about yeah looking forward to the Duke if you haven't checked out our top 50 document yet I'd certainly check it out it's our ranked Favorite top fifty books of all time. Yep, so it's pretty much the best bits of the best books of all time, condensed into thirty pages. So there's going to be it's packed with absolute wisdom. And if any of that resonates with you, then you can go out and go and buy the book. That's it. So we've put a little summary of each one. We've got them in order from one to fifty. Head to whatyoullearn.com/slash/top fifty. Whatyoullearn.com/slash/top50. You can grab the doc.